0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station.
1: Hi, welcome to Breaking Bread. This is the show where we explore food through culture, conversations and a whole lot of curiosity. I'm your host, Lo Yi Jun, a food writer and recipe developer from the Jun & Tonic blog. Every week on this show, we dive deep into an aspect of food in Malaysia, from speaking to chefs and restaurateurs about their restaurants, to exploring the origins of dishes, to geeking out over tasty discussions with food friends and experts. This week's guests are Nikolai Lenz and M.I. Roni from Canvas, a restaurant in the heart of KL that is all about sustainability. If you take a look at their menu and their website, you'll find terms like biodiverse comfort food, sustainable hedonism, and food waste reduction, all of which they really do champion. From composting, to converting their cooking oil to biofuel, cutting down on plastics, to pruning a little garden of herbs that end up on your plates, Canvas truly is one of the few restaurants out there trying to do sustainability right. So without further ado, here's Chef Nick and Ronnie. Hi guys, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, hey! Hello. thanks for having us.
1: Cool. So for those who haven't been to Canvas or haven't met you guys in person, could you give a brief introduction to yourself?
2: Sure. I'll, I'll start since I'm probably the one that people don't see. So I'm Nick. I'm, I'm hiding <laughs> in the kitchen. Uh, I've been cooking for many, many, many years. And uh, for a bunch of those, Ria and Rani have started to talk about sustainable restaurants.
0: Hi, I'm Ronnie. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm always behind the bar most of the time and yeah, yeah speak to the guest and explain what we do. I am actually basically yeah, I'm basically in front of the house most of the time.
1: Mm. Mhm. And when it comes to your restaurant and well the philosophy behind your restaurant it's quite different from what i've seen in at least in in kl um well chef Nick, you're from copenhagen so maybe that is like a different restaurant scene there but in kl there's there's no one really championing sustainability as you do and i saw on, on your website um you run by the philosophy of sustainable hedonism uh which is a cool catchphrase uh can you tell us more about that
2: sure can um it's uh it's, it's not something we invented. It's something we stole. Um, and it is the, the origin is Danish. It's, it's, as far as I remember, there's a couple of, of chefs back in Denmark who, who decided to grow uh, mussels in the harbor of Copenhagen. Uh, the reason they did that was they, they argued that the mussels would clean the water and help uh, purify the, the harbor, which, of course, it does. But what they ended up doing was, They kept them in the water longer than normal so the mussels grow bigger. Um, And then they went, dude, this is sustainable because we're helping the harbor, but we're also growing mussels that we can sell to the more hedonistic restaurants. Uh, And I thought that was a a pretty good way to explain what we're doing, um, which is basically finding the middle way between what can we do that's healthy for people, healthy for the planet, but still splurge. Um, Argument is... uh, we still use butter in, in 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 some of our chocolate recipes, even though that's not entirely sustainable. But for us, it's kind of a a middle way, and hopefully, to quote corporate uh, companies, our middle way would be 80-20, 80% sustainable, 20% hedonistic. Mm, uh, right. So it's it's a guiding light. It's a it's a guidepost basically for us to use, and it it includes. It includes anything from uh, thinking about uh, biodiverse uh, ingredients to to the gut microbiome. How, how how many ingredients are we eating? How many ingredients should we be eating? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. The more different different ingredients we eat, the healthier our gut microbiome gets. But again, we have that that balance. Occasionally, we will we will switch and go back to a dish that people really like which is not really super healthy or sustainable but then we counter that on, on other items on the menu or you know or, or we keep it only on request or, or what have you mm, the idea mm. is the idea is to be be as sustainable as we can be means we're not 100% sustainable because we are in a part of the world where this is very difficult to do but but we have at least 14 15 things that we have been fighting with that we are slowly implementing uh, so, uh, I think we can look ourselves in the mirror, uh, and meanwhile, we try and cook food in a restaurant that we would like to visit, um, if we were just regular guests, basically.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. And for our listeners, um, who don't quite have, I guess, like a, a palate or experience for what sustainable food looks like or even tastes like, um, do you have any, example dishes, like a hero dish that, that really champions sustainability uh, that you serve at your restaurant. And, and Ronnie, I I'd love to hear uh, a drink that is uh, that champions sustainability as well.
2: Well, we have, one of the things that we, we use as a, as, uh, that is a necessary ingredient of being sustainable is to upcycle. So basically the, the first battle we have to, we have to fight relentlessly is to have no food waste. Uh, that means when we have used certain ingredients, we look at them and, and, and we realize we have seeds or skin or other things that we can either ferment, dehydrate, or both, or pickle. And then other ingredients come out of that. Um, so, for instance, we put an old-fashioned apple crumble dessert, which is Danish in inspiration. Uh, we put that on the menu pretty much as a joke. But we added local turnip. Uh, I always get in trouble when I pronounce it, Seng Kwan. <laughs> ah. but, but i've been wanting to work with that for a long time and 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 we realized that if we fermented it it didn't work but if we baked it first and then fermented it it would work then we mixed it with apple and we realized we had a, a liquid left over um from the fermentation process that if we adjusted that a little bit that will go str- straight to the bar
0: mm. and yeah like uh we don't we don't uh all of our sweetness that we use for the drinks actually is uh is all the byproduct from the kitchen so basically all uh, these uh apple and turnip liquid fermented liquid we reduce then we turn into a syrup and that's what we use for the bar. and also we use uh, a barn sweet potato syrup then we do uh, pumpkin turmeric beetroot syrup plus when you do the syrup all those uh like turmeric beetroot and all those we all the fibers we turn into a powder and that's become the garnish
1: mm, right right so it's yeah so basically upcycling
2: is the key it's it, it's it's a technique that gives us much as as it gives us even more than we expect sometimes
0: so basically what whatever kitchen they use uh we try to use at the bar too Mm,
1: yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. And there's there's this really interesting synergy going on be- between like the bar and the kitchen that you rarely see in, well, at least a lot of Malaysian restaurants. Uh, Chef Nick, you were saying how in, especially in Malaysia, in a local context, it can be tricky or even difficult to, to keep up with a lot of these sustainable practices, right? Um, like you were saying, for single-use plastic in Malaysia, we're still leaks behind let's say a lot of western european countries um but what's the biggest difference that that you've you've found in terms of our approaches to sustainability
2: oh uh, that's a tricky one um I, I think now that we we opened canvas and we started looking at it from from an operator's standpoint, the best analogy I can give you is if, if, you imagine that Malaysia is a big, wide river, and and we're on an island in the middle, we can try and be sustainable on that island. But what is up and downstream from us is, is terribly disorganized. Um, we find uh, in the seven or eight months we've been trying to do this, we found a lot of people who are open. Uh, we found people who uh, who are into composting, and we're working with them, which is was brilliant then we found a lot of uh, farmers that we're also able to deal with Um, we have a a couple of architects who's helping us to develop sustainable tricks we want to build a new bar out of sustainable uh, local ingredients so to speak uh, bioresins. but what i'm what i'm failing to see is, is some sort of structure um Businesses are not really. We struggle to find ways to do something sustainable. We found the biofuel, so our cooking oils can be turned into biofuel. We found that during, uh, I found that during one of the one of the MCOs, where I, I found the contact to some people who were extremely mm-hmm. responsive. Um, one of the the biggest issues I have right now is I cannot find anything in terms of single-use plastic. I mean, we have struggled to find anyone who. Is able to show us or tell us that there are people who will pick it up, uh, people who will understand what to do with it. Um, it's, there's some areas here are black holes, I'm um, sorry to say, and some other areas are very vibrant. Um, so it, it's, it's a little bit frustrating, um, but we we look at it from the standpoint that we have to do a community, so we will cook the food that, that we can. We can we, we will love ourselves, and meanwhile, when people come to us. We'll try and see if if any of them are willing to and capable of joining a community where we can collaborate. Uh, Because to to fix what's going on in the system, not just in Malaysia, but worldwide, we need communities to push Mm, back. We need communities mm. to ask the right questions so we can get to the right answers.
1: Mm, Yeah, and it's almost as if we are running in different silos right where people are doing their own thing but not really communicating much with each other and yeah as you say like community is going to be important in kind of like bridging the gap it's also
2: the intent the intent behind why are we uh, why do we choose to be sustainable we we chose our path towards that not because we will make money from it but because uh Well, actually, we believe that that the state of the world is is not good and and we better do something right now. At least we can look ourselves in the mirror, look ourselves in the eyes in the morning and say, we tried it. Um, But meanwhile, we find people who are getting into sustainability from a monetary standpoint.
1: Right. Yeah, and from a business perspective, to be a sustainable restaurant in such a difficult environment, such as Malaysia, how, how does that impact on the profitability of a restaurant? Is it going to be harder to go the sustainability route uh, compared to, I guess, a less sustainable restaurant? Before we hear the answer to that question, we're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. You're listening to Breaking Bread on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Breaking Bread. I'm Jun, and I've been speaking to Chef Nick and Roni from Canvas KL, a restaurant that champions sustainable hedonism. We've been talking about their food philosophy, but now we're turning our attention to the business side of sustainability. And we'll talk about their future too. From a business perspective, to be a sustainable restaurant in such a difficult environment such as Malaysia, how how does that impact on the profitability of a restaurant? Is it going to be harder to go the sustainability route uh compared to i guess a less sustainable restaurant
2: very good question the, I, I look at it like this um to be sustainable you need to do some investments and those machines those who, that kind of equipment will not bring profit that won't that won't hit your profit margin but you can argue that instead of spending a million ringgit on on making your restaurant look fancy on the outside, you can spend the same amount of money on equipment that actually makes you able to control your effort in the kitchens. So I think uh, morally it's very profitable. (laughs) Uh, And and when it comes to normal profits, we are running on the same profit margins as most other restaurants. We might even have a little bit better because we, we use a lot of our ingredients 100% possibly. Yeah. So, so that there, there is profitability in it, but it's a hassle and you need to, you need to do a lot of research and you need to really sometimes just slug it out. Cause it's, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint.
1: Mm. Mm. But, but I would think uh, some of the practices that, that you do at your restaurant, like composting and also having a, a garden where, where you have your own herbs or, or garnishes for, for making cocktails, that would, probably help with uh driving down the cost a bit, and, and <laughs> ha- has it helped out for you guys uh ronnie would you like to take this question
0: well i mean in, in in my drinks normally i don't use any garnishing uh all my garnishing is all the byproduct basically because uh i i don't believe that uh, to put a bunch of mint leaf on your glasses and you know after that you throw away is not it's not what we call sustainability <laughs> Also, mm-hmm. so on on that side, yes. I mean, uh, as as Nick mentioned that earlier, which is we use all the byproduct. So yeah, the profit profit will be not maybe at the beginning, but gradually, yeah, we will be we'll be making some.
1: Mm, mm.
2: Yeah, I think I think at the bottom of a bottom of P N L we might do two percent or something like that at the moment. Uh-huh. Uh not much but we could probably put a number on it if we went really into detail but it's like i said it's it's uh we know how to run restaurants because put together there's a lot of experience there but but it's not for profit this is this is basically throwing all the cards on the table saying we want it we want that darn restaurant we want it to be as we we always wanted it to go to ourselves so to speak but but now we have we have we have we have projects in mind that are absolutely amazing when it comes to sustainable. And some of those, when we uh, when we work closer with the farmers that we're we're reaching out to, they will become profitable, not for us, but for them, because um, we have a potential here that is is interesting, really really interesting. You know, I go back to Denmark; it's a very mature market. They know what they're doing. They they have been doing this for some of these guys are my teachers today. But down here, we are, we're still knocking on doors that people don't know our doors yet. So the potential is amazing, really, for sure. But, but how we get there, I don't know that yet, but we, we have to keep fighting. We have to keep fighting and keep trying. Um, it's a community, like I said.
1: Mm, yeah, and as for the diners or, or eaters, what can we do to push the sustainability movement forward at a quicker rate, uh, so to speak?
2: Uh, I I don't want to sound like I'm skeptic, but I am. (laughs) We, uh, we are up against a system that's, that's kind of, when we don't know the questions to ask the system functions well. So the, the first question we need to ask ourselves is where do, where do the ingredients we buy come from? You know, how come, how come the cheapest calories we get in the supermarkets are the unhealthiest? Uh somebody asked me what to do if I want to be sustainable and my response was as one of my teachers said find one thing and fight it fight for that one battle and then the same thing when we want to change uh, the food system we find one thing and we question that one thing all the way through where do these tomatoes come from why do they come in plastic do they have to come in plastic What, what else you know but but again if we don't have upstream or downstream support to the, the world is too fast to to get into details and, and, and fight these battles.
1: Um, mm, yeah. It's almost as if like you need you need people on different fronts, right? Yes,
2: yes. It's you know when, when things are cheap and we don't know anything, uh then that becomes this, this circle that reinforces itself. And anything that's convenient is not your friend. Mm. That, that that's the tagline I try to use.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think this whole topic of sustainability is, is a really deep hole that there are so many questions and so many different aspects to it that we can dive into. Um, but in the uh, interest of time, I just want to end by uh, asking about how you've been doing over the past few months, especially with the MCO. Um, well, the first two MCO, and then now we are going into the third MCO and, and how are you going to deal with that?
2: Well, the, the first MCO uh, canvas wasn't born the born at that point um, so we we came to be between the first and the second and it's hard to say because we have the intelligence to read numbers and and you know understand what's happening and of course these these MCOs are needed it's 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 the blunt hammer that's the only one that seems to work at the moment. Uh, there's research to show that countries where communication is really good, people have faith in, what we, in what's being told to them. And, and right now, I think the communication we got was pretty yeah, bad. Um, and that's mm. the biggest hurdle we have. It's like uncertainty is, is tough. You know, We chose to close. We chose to not send our food in containers uh, through an app uh, to, to God knows where. Um, because it's too far f- from our kitchen to be in control of the quality we wanted to deliver. Uh, I think it's fantastic that some people can survive on it. We're fortunate. We have some good partners and, and some understanding partners. So uh, we basically hunker down and, 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 and wait and see. You know, uh, Our fermentations are going on. Our garden is going on. And uh, we, can, we can survive this um, for now. Uh, and then hopefully, when when things are more under control and we get some guidelines that allows businesses like ours to to become sustainable financially again, then um, then we'll push on because uh, this is not going to continue. There, there will be. Um, we have to believe that there will be a recovery, and we have to believe that uh, that humans are humans, and we will see them all again.
1: Yeah, I think that is a great line to to end with like we'll see each other again um <laughs> but for now it sounds like you know your garden and your your fermentation projects are still going strong and at the end of the day hopefully it'll turn out to create even better products out there but i, I understand that's like a pretty hopeful view um but yeah. um yeah just want to thank you all for your time and for for sharing today
2: you're welcome you're welcome thank th- you. thanks for having us i, I just you. i just felt like like saying one little thing. Um, that, that when you ferment, a lot of people started to ferment during the lockdowns. So when you ferment, you're basically by nature doing something innately optimistic because you're putting stuff into a lacto-fermentation process that you hope you expect it to be perfect in two or three or four or five weeks. So when you ferment, you're optimistic by nature. So we all have to be.
1: Mm-hmm. that that is a that is a pretty perfect parallel to draw <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for uh for ending it on, a, on an optimistic note
2: oh <laughs> well, thank you thank you for for doing that too
1: <laughs> that's all for this week's show to listen to more episodes you can find us on itunes spotify or on the bfm app and if you're hungry for some super fun recipes with funky food writing, you can keep up to date with me on Instagram at Jun and Tonic. That's J U N . A N D T O N I C. I'm Jun, and you've been listening to Breaking Bread on BFM eighty nine point nine.